I've had this talk with several new young players when they came to the Cincinnati Symphony because they would be playing and you know they would have some of these mistakes it happens and uh, especially in the first couple months it'd be like oh I'm so sorry I'm so sorry and like you know don't don't apologize you, you're always going to feel like you could do something better It is January 12th, 2021, and you are listening to episode 27 of the Candid Clarinetist podcast. What's going on, everybody? Sam Rothstein here, acting principal clarinet with the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra and host of the Candid Clarinetist podcast. I hope everyone is having a great start to the new year. We all made it. We did it. I, I, I knew at some point we probably didn't think it was possible, but here we are, 2021. Um, I did a little Candid Clarinetist year in review episode last week where I looked back at the first six months of the Candid Clarinetist podcast and also gave a little preview of what's to come. If you haven't checked it out yet, I recommend doing so. You can find us on almost all podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, pretty much uh, anywhere you can get your podcasts, we will also be there. Make sure to subscribe so you can have access to the new episodes as soon as they are available for download. A few days ago, I posted the first video on our new and improved YouTube channel comparing the Buffet Tosca bass clarinet to the Buffet Prestige bass clarinet. I would love it if you all went over there to the YouTube channel and subscribed. Uh, I'm really looking forward to putting out some more content on YouTube, and I have a lot of great ideas planned. So head on over there and uh, help us uh, spread the word by sharing our content on Instagram and Facebook and all that good stuff. Um, so our guest for today, uh, about 10 years ago or so, uh, Richie Holly, who is currently a professor of clarinet at Rice University, posted a blog entry on his website about orchestral etiquette. I found it to be incredibly compelling and frequently revisit it every couple of years and, and read through it all just to make sure that I'm staying in line and behaving in, in orchestra. Um, but I'm pleased that we have the author of the post here as our guest today. Uh, Richie, it's so generous of you to spend your time with me this afternoon. Hey, Sam, I'm stoked to be here. And everyone should definitely check out your YouTube uh, comparison of the Tosca and the Prestige bass because there's nothing like that out there. And it's a big question when people go to buy a bass clarinet. You know, what do you do? What's the pluses and minuses? I know I went through that. So I, that was great. Very, very good YouTube. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad. And actually, uh, you know, before we get started, you were actually a big inspiration for me uh, sort of get this. I mean, of course, the content creation thing has been happening now because of, you know, we're all trying to find different things to do. But yeah. but you did this before anyone else was doing it. Um, and I remember your uh, video. It was a vlog. You went to Paris to the for the buffet celebration. And then, oh, yeah, yeah, you brought back the tradition clarinet and you did like a sort of a side by side comparison. And I was like, you know what? I really, really love that video. I mean, I'm, I must have watched that video like. 20 times because I, I, you well, know, I, that's, it's one of those things that people are like, what is this new clarinet? Why should I, why should I go out and spend money on something that's, you know, what I, I do I need it? Do I not need it? So yeah, you really addressed it well. Yeah. Thanks. Thank um, you. And, uh, yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I, I loved like the production value of your video and everything. And I just, I feel like there's sort of a hole, uh, where the, you know, that, that needs to be filled. And, and I, and I hope that, you know, I, if anybody has any requests or anything, um, please let me know. I, I'm, I'm just looking for, uh, to, to sort of help people out because it's, it's hard to, have access to all of that without getting it shipped to you or buying it or whatever. So, so I'm, I'm hoping to use that, that channel to, to do that. Um, so the, about the, uh, the blog post, the, the orchestral etiquette blog post, uh, what was sort of the impetus for you creating this post? Cause it, I remember, uh, was this at, 
actually before we get there, was this before you started teaching full time? Was this when you were still in the orchestra? Well, when I was in the orchestra in Cincinnati, um, I was doing the the insane thing of playing principal in a major orchestra and being full full time teaching. Yeah. And uh, so I, I had a full studio uh, of my own students. I had twelve students at CCM, but I was running a studio of twenty three students. And um, and I think that it was obvious to me that. Uh, there was a bit of education that wasn't happening for my students. And I would go to rehearsals sometimes and watch their behavior in rehearsals. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my student is such a jackass. Why is <laughs> he or she doing that? And then I realized that I'd made all these same mistakes. Every, every single list on everything on my list on my website, and there's probably more that I didn't put down. Uh, but, um, I've made the mistake of everything on this list. So it was easy to come up with the first half of the list. And then um, I sent out a questionnaire. I sent out, this was, I, I gave people a piece of paper in a rehearsal. And I said, when you're bored in rehearsal today, write down something that drives you bonkers that people do, that they shouldn't do, that they need to be told, you know, yes or no. So that was uh, filled in the rest of the blanks, and um, thus this list that has made its way through many client studios and uh, uh, various discussions and blog posts. So, well, it's, it's, it's terrific. I mean, and and uh, they can find it at richieholly.com uh, on your blog tab, and it's the the very bottom one. So I think it was your first ever blog post, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, that was the first one. Yeah, you know, it's 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 one of those things. It's timeless. I yes. think that there's, you could say, right, the orchestra world is changing, everything is changing, but there's certain rules of behavior that that are timeless no matter what. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because I, I mentioned that I, that I always sort of refer to it and go back to it. And there's certain things where it's like, and, and don't, I don't recommend people doing this, but there's certain things on there where like, if I'm mad at someone, I'll do it just because like, you know, <laughs> just to like emphasize, because I know I'm not supposed to be doing it. Um, so, but, but don't be, don't be me. Don't behave like that to your colleagues. Um, so going through it, what are the things that are most important to you? I mean, you know, I, I the first one that comes up, do not turn around and look at people behind you while they are playing. This is a huge thing. A huge, there's nothing yeah. more unsettling. You're playing the cadenza of the Kodai, and all of a sudden, you know, the seventh chair viola turns around, whips their head around, and stares right at you. Always, always. And it's <laughs> always the violist. Yeah. Always. Yeah. You know, I, it's funny you bring that up. I, I would, had a very um, unhappy relationship with the viola section in Cincinnati Symphony. I mean, I can tell you more about that later, but uh, I would know how long to hold those pauses in the Scheherazade cadenza, you know, where you go, and then you wait, right? Because yep. the strings go, bah, bah, bah. I would know for the last one, when it was, when I, when I'd waited long enough was when one of the violas in the back of the section turned around and looked at me like I had died or something. But that was the <laughs> indication time to play. Yeah. There you go. yeah. Um, but for you, like what's the, what are, let's do like three points that, that are like yeah. really important to you. Well, I think, um, the very first one is the most difficult. And I learned this 
in um, my first job in Charleston Symphony. And uh, I had some very kind colleagues that were were very honest and helpful and uh, were mentoring me and helping me to understand that that this was a different world than the the world that I was in as a student, even though I was at the Curtis Institute of Music where everything had to be perfect and you had a lot of, you know, built in behavior modification <laughs> with just tradition. But um, the number one thing is that we all, no matter what level of, of player we are, we all make mistakes, right? And my mistakes, sometimes I'll have a catastrophic mistake. Uh, forget a repeat, play a wrong note. But usually the mistakes that I make uh, are little tiny subtle things. And they're things that I'm not satisfied with. You know, a start of a note, intonation, those sort of things. Rushing in a passage or being not not even so all these things um so that's at the advanced level right that's when you've got it full successful career those you still feel just as bad with those tiny mistakes as when you're starting the career and you do you miss an entrance or you squeak or um you stumbled on a passage it feels just as bad and when you start off in a professional orchestra and those more major things happen, which they, they can happen, there's this instant reaction that we have saying you know, to everyone around you saying, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to bongle that passage that we were playing together. Um, and uh, one of my colleagues in Charleston Symphony said, you know, I, I didn't even notice it. And this person was being very nice. She was being very, very nice. There's no way she could not have noticed it. But she said, uh, don't, don't apologize for it because you're just drawing attention to it and you're showing how insecure you are. And that makes us think, wow, did we not choose the right person? And I've had this talk with several new young players when they came to the Cincinnati Symphony because they would be playing and you know they would have some of these mistakes. It happens, and uh, especially in the first couple months and it'd be like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And like, you know, don't, don't apologize. You, you're always going to feel like you could do something better. And, um, it's very true. Even to the, the week that I left the orchestra, there was some little articulation things. I wish I could have done better, but had I been apologizing to everybody around me, it would have just drawn attention to that, which wasn't as perfect as I thought. Yeah, well, that's a really interesting perspective, and and I think, well, I know I'm I'm very thankful. Uh, one of my colleagues here, who is a former colleague of yours, actually in Charleston, Roger Rowe, a uh, fantastic yes, yeah. uh, English horn player, um, he really he kind of guided me, and I think we all have a Roger Rowe in our lives, where there's Absolutely, just people who yeah. just he kind of guide you, and they're like, hey, when you said that to the conductor, like maybe try to say it this way, or hey maybe he like you don't need to like you say you don't need to like apologize for this or whatever and and so we you know as we go along we're learning these things along the way and um you know you're in a unique position now that you're teaching and nurturing young students and uh i wonder how much of this gets sort of integrated into your curriculum because i i think i was talking to um i can't remember if it was jackie glazier or somebody else but but uh there's just not enough. I mean, you're trying to teach your students how to play clarinet first and foremost, yeah. right? Or how to be right, a better right. musician. 
Yes. There's just not enough time to like teach everybody everything they need to know True. in the profession. So like how much of this gets integrated into it? Is it kind of just like when they make the mistake, then you do it or do uh, you, you know? I think a lot of it is, you know, when Jackie was in school with us at CCM, um, it would be I, I, uh, the faculty, we weren't as involved with their daily life, right? Um, however, even though that wasn't that long ago, there was a lot more connection from Jackie's generation of student, the history of clarinet and the history of orchestra playing. And it's disappearing very, very fast. And I, I guarantee the reason for that is because um, your generation, Sam, you had to grow up and, and listen to track down recordings that you wanted. Yeah. It wasn't instantly there, right? Mm-hmm. On YouTube. So the act of tracking down whatever recording you're looking for, whether it be at a library or a CD or a download you could get and pay for, um, you had to really research which orchestra you liked, which clarinet player you liked, what, who is this person? Who is the conductor? What is the time frame? And you became a lot more aware, uh, like Jackie and, or Todd Cope, who was in school at the same time, uh, a lot more aware uh, of these orchestra traditions. So there is this sort of reverence for sitting in the orchestra. And when everything is so instant with, all right, I, I can, I can instantly pull up in five minutes, 12 Beethoven six first movements and narrow down four of them to just the bars of the clarinet solo. You don't get whole tradition of that orchestra. You haven't had to scour through the recording. You haven't had to listen to the, the, the orchestra. And, and this is a fact, uh, it's just a generational thing, but a lot of us getting lost in the translation so that when people do go and sit in the seat, they don't have quite the reverence for the hallowed ground and the traditions of music making that they need to be um, very aware of. And you hear this, you know, when people play auditions and this whole, oh, well, people sound great. There's all these people qualified that make it to the finals. Well, what makes someone sound really special in that final round is uh, some seasoned. And the word seasoned means not necessarily that they've played in an orchestra previously, but they're very aware of the context of the music and the repertoire and the traditions that go by certain stylistic things with the clarinet repertoire. So sorry, such a long answer on that, but I think it's just the, the, the respect for sitting in an orchestra has, has, uh, diminished. Well, that's, that's a really profound comment. And I think that, um, you know, even thinking back to when I was in school, um, I was, it was a big thing to like have access to the part, like the music, <laughs> like, right? Like uh, we used to have to go to the orchestra library and check out the music or right. like, you know, one person in the studio had like this, remember the CDs, the, the orchestra library CDs Sure, sure. that, that you yeah. could get the PDFs off of. And like, we had to go find our parts and now you can like get everything so instantaneously, um, that that you're right. That there's the, there's this thing where it's like, okay, you have your Instagram and you can put up orchestral excerpts, but there's not this thing about like, wow, this is, this is what these people did ahead of, you know? So that's a really, <laughs> that's a really interesting comment about how it's just, it's changed so much over the years and, and the reverence. And so rapidly. Yeah. yeah. So rapidly. And think about when you were in Northwestern, 
Um, how often did you go to Chicago Symphony? Not as often as I should have. Right. <laughs> but when you would go there, that was an event. Yes. You know, and uh, that doesn't happen as much now. Right. Because you can just get it from your home. Right. And there's something very different. And it's not just about the pandemic, but there's something very different from watching a Berlin Philharmonic live stream, which is, you know, you're paying for it as opposed to going to Chicago Symphony and sitting in the nosebleed seats because that's where the student pricing are. Right. And waiting. And you see um, whomever, it doesn't matter what instrument you are there for. You're, there's a person that you're watching everything they do mm-hmm. and you, you have great respect and you great, go grow a great new appreciation for the pressures that person must be feeling, you know, and, um, what you wonder what's going through their head. What's, what's happening. What are they doing with their reads? What, what all is going on? And you get a lot more intrigued. And then when you are in that position, even as a student, you realize, wow, this individual really made it look easy, but it can't be. So there's, there's a lot more sort of awareness as a result of going to concerts, which I think is also diminishing. Yeah. And that's, um, well, it's, it's just a really interesting comment. Cause like you go to a, like you said, like when I used to go to the Chicago symphony, I used to like watch everything that Laurie Bloom would do just cause he was my teacher mm-hmm. and, and just how he would play things and how he would like interact with his colleagues and, I always, this is kind of getting off topic, but like whenever I see a really amazing concert, it, it causes me to think not about music, but about other things. And so oftentimes when I was riding home from these concerts, my mind would be just like thinking about things. Right. Yeah. But, of course. but like, that's, that's like the transformative experience of music in, in, in a way. But also I think that, um, now that I do that every weekend, um, and I'm in those seats, I know the amount that it takes to do that mm-hmm. on a weekly and daily basis. And what I experienced in the audience was different to what you experienced on stage. Correct. Yes. But when you're in the audience as a student, that makes you hungry in a whole new manner. And you appreciate those surroundings in a very, very real way. Yeah. And you also remember like how, like, I'm sure you could, uh, you know, come up with, a Philadelphia orchestra concert that you heard when you were in school that just changed your life. And you, you'll never forget that particular concert. That's right. And so having that in the back of your mind, when you're creating that on stage, you never know if you're affecting Richie Hawley, the 18 year old Curtis student and changing their life in a profound way. And so I, I agree. I think that that's important for students to know that like going and attending concerts orchestra concerts is an incredibly important part. I don't, you know, the Berlin feels great and the digital concert concert hall is great, but you need to go and sit and see the Houston symphony. It's just, it's, 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 it's it's, it's a totally different thing. Um, that's right. Um, Oh, anyways, so we got a little off topic, but that's, uh, no, that's right on topic because (laughs) this makes that reverence for that chair. Uh, you know, whether yes. the, the reverence for sitting in that clarinet section, that is an elite spot to be in. And so you, you, you get into that position and you have to mind your P's and Q's and behave and get tenure and be a good colleague 
And the very, that's why the number one thing I said is that you get into this position and you're so worried about making all these mistakes on this list right. that you're starting to apologize for things that you shouldn't be apologizing for. So that's why my number one thing is don't apologize unless you drop your mouthpiece cap in a noisy section and it's a metal one like I used to have somewhere around here. And, or you, you punch your stand into the back of the flute player, things like that. Physical calamities you should apologize for. Musical, you, you shouldn't apologize for. Just get them better and don't make the same mistake twice. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think that's really the best advice because like we're all going to make probably every mistake on this list. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, like this is a good one. Swab out discreetly and not if the person next to you is playing a solo. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, I've had yes. people do that to me. They just whip their swab, you know. <laughs> it's like... Yep. Um, well, I, that I got talked to by uh, Bill Winstead, the principal bassoon player of, of Cincinnati. There was <laughs> one, you know, some rehearsal early on. Uh, he really put me in my in my place in understanding these things. I really wasn't even paying any attention. The fact he was in the middle of some gigantic solo in Shostakovich nine, I was just worried about you know making sure that my client was dry for the next one. And so, yeah whipping that right next to someone's peripheral vision is a very, very annoying thing. Yeah. And there's yep. another one on here too. Uh, do not yawn or buzz your lips audibly if you are tired. This one I learned yeah. actually in school, fortunately enough, I got yelled at by Steve Cohen because I yawned really loudly in one of his excerpt classes and he called me out in front of everybody, deservedly so. And so uh, that's a good one too. And I, I mean, everything on this list is, is really uh, important. Um, I think for me, uh, one of the biggest things for me um, is number two, uh, the perfume and yep. cologne to a minimum. I right, yeah. yeah. I, I I one of my first jobs was um, I played uh, with uh, a touring Broadway show. That was my one of my first first jobs, and uh, there was somebody in the band, and we were in you know these tiny pits and and all these Broadway houses all over the country. One of my colleagues, he would wear cologne like really oh. and right behind, you know, sit right behind us. And it was just like, you know, and people would try to talk to him about it and he would be like, yeah, yeah. And then he'd do it again like two weeks later, you know. And so it's, but it, it's really distracting, especially, I mean, we play wind instruments. We have to breathe. And oh, if you're, it's horrible. If you're yeah. smelling, you know, Chanel, whatever, it, it's it's hard to kind of focus uh it's just, it's just, and it's, it's just a distraction. It's another form of distraction. Um, I, I think you just hit on the, the, the list should not be called orchestral etiquette as much as orchestral distractions to all of your colleagues and how right. to not get tenure. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's and, a big issue that's not on here. I kind of, uh, put a little bit, uh, I've made one note on it, but, uh, phones and rehearsals now. Oh yeah, are are everywhere, obviously, and we keep them on our stands. I'm I'm guilty of that, uh, but I have to say that there have been times in um, my my career in the last five years when I've been playing a, a lot in St. Paul Chamber Orchestra, or I did a stint in um, Auckland Philharmonic in New Zealand. You know, other than one day where I was having to watch a storm unfold in um, here in Houston and make sure that my house did not flood. Mm. Uh, I really made a special effort to keep my phone completely away, you know, and for a tuner using a manual tuner, um, 
if I needed it, but just not being distracted because guaranteed there would be a message or something on the phone, whether it be urgent or not. Uh, it, it, my, my time on the stage has to be for making music and rehearsing the music and not attending to the rest of what's happening in my life. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's one that, I mean, you're going, you're hitting all the ones that bother me the most, <laughs> but, but phones, phones, especially not so much for myself. Um, but, but do it for, it's kind of like wearing a mask, right? You don't wear a mask to protect yourself. You wear a mask to protect pe those around you. And it's the same thing right. with phones. Like if you, if, if you see someone's cell phone blowing up next to you and you're trying to like concentrate, it's really distracting. Right. And yeah. Even, even if it just lights up. Yeah. Yeah. Lights up or, light. or dings or buzzes or anything. I mean, you know, but just this, yeah, just the, just the lighting up. You know, you have you, all of a sudden you get this extra stimulus that you, you're probably already getting enough stimulus from the conductor that you don't need another another thing getting to you. Um, and another one I wanted to highlight too on this list, um, and I, I love this one, uh, which is uh, do not tell someone he or she sounds good if he or she does not deserve the praise, which goes along with the previous one. Uh, one of my former colleagues in the or orchestra used to, as as a joke, he used to come back in the locker room, and he would say. Sam, I thought you sounded great tonight. How did I sound? Because, Whoa. You, you, you know, just like, it was totally a joke, but, um, you know, you, you don't like you, if, if, if you're tapping your foot and applauding every single little thing that everybody does, mm -hmm. you're devaluing a positive reinforcement, right? Cause all of a sudden then it's yeah. not a positive reinforcement. It's actually a negative reinforcement. Cause if you don't do it, they're like, Whoa, did I do something wrong? That's right. Yeah. It just builds up a whole, those are things that people really need to think about right when they start a job. Uh, again, uh, most of these things are, are critical for a newbie or a rookie in an orchestra because you want to, you want to, you know, tap on your thigh when someone does great, but maybe wait till the concert, don't do it at the rehearsal or if it's at the rehearsal afterwards, say, Hey, that was awesome. And, and leave it at that. There's just, there's, as you said, Sam, you don't want to build up this expectation that every time something happens, whether it be medium or great or not so great that you, the person gets a comment because then you become that person that comments on everything. Yeah. And I think that, you know, some of the best compliments I've ever gotten from my colleagues are actually after all the concerts are over and they'll just like pull me aside, like, after everything's done, hey, you just sounded so great all week. Like it's really a, privilege. Yeah. you know, something like that is way more meaningful than than you know, first time you run through a solo, everyone's shake, you know, shuffling their feet for you. At least for me. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, completely. Yeah. Yeah. Preach, brother. Yeah, that's right. Um, so you you mentioned the cell phone thing, but is there anything else that you would sort of add to this list? As you know, maybe let's actually go to. Uh, I mean. In terms of professional etiquette, I went through some of this stuff when I spoke with Jackie, but like things that students do, maybe if they're looking to come study at Rice with you, like what would be some things in terms of communication or whatnot that would, that you just, you would want to avoid, you know? There's a couple, a couple of really specific and very different things. One is simple. I talk to my students and I say, Hey, I, I think you need to do change your articulation here and there. And they don't, it's not like it's not that they don't write it down. They, they didn't even have a pencil out, you know. Mm -hmm. So it seems sort of dis it's disrespectful when when someone says, "I need you to change this," 
and someone doesn't actually make that change in the music. It, it turns into a real disrespect. It's, yeah. you know, maybe I, maybe all my students now that don't have pencils and don't write things down, they've got a photographic memory. So great. Why are they, what are they doing playing music? They should go into like card counting, right. <laughs> go to casinos. You can make a lot more but, money doing um, that. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's one that just drives me nuts and it's a, a major problem. Um, major problem still. And the other interesting thing, which is, I don't think it's even on this list, but this, this need to be drinking water all the time Mm. in a rehearsal. Mm. So imagine a conductor is up there conducting and every single person, every six or eight minutes, 10 minutes takes a sip out of their sippy cup bottle, right? I mean, I understand we need to stay hydrated, but for a conductor, that means every 30 seconds, there's a bottle going up and down and up and down and the sound of it. And it's just, you know, playing in an orchestra, it's an hour and a half stretch till the first rehearsal break, right? Mm -hmm. That's pretty uniform everywhere. Uh, Have a sip of water beforehand or drink big drink of water. And then have a drink of water at the break. The, having the bottle up there, unless you have a medical reason for it, is really not necessary. And frankly, students have the bottles with them all the time. Most halls will not let you bring any sort of bottle on the stage, whether it be closed or open. I mean, just no. That's just the, the, the stage hands will say, N-O, you get that bottle off the stage. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Plus, oh, go yeah. ahead. Sorry it becomes a a very big liability for punting. Yes. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Right. Yeah. I can't tell you how many coffee cups have been dumped over, uh, on the stage. And, you know, after people have said, do not bring anything on the stage. Um, but we actually had a big thing in our orchestra a couple of years ago about the water bottle thing, because our conductor wasn't happy that people were bringing these big cups up because they provide, he wanted everything to be black on the stage. So they actually provided us with these cups now, the problem with these cups is that you had to pick them up and drink them, you know? And so we had this whole thing. It's like, if you want to bring water, that's fine, but it's really distracting if you lift these cups up and tilt your head back, especially like, you know, in the middle of a concert or whatever. Sure. Uh, yeah. And so if you are, I think if you are some, and some people need water, like they have a medical condition or whatever, they need water. Right. And, right. and, and I'm yeah. totally, and you know, sometimes my mouth gets really dry, whether it's, the yep. weather or whatever. And so I understand the need to drink water, but, uh, I highly recommend if you do need that to get a, uh, bottle that has a straw that doesn't make any noise. That's it. And so yep. you can discreetly, you know, go down and, and drink it when you need to. Otherwise it is, it is another thing, uh, that's an incredible distraction to not only your colleagues, but also to the audience and to the conductor. And it's just a, like you said, Absolutely. it's a, it's a yeah. respect thing. And I think that that's uh, really yeah. important. Um, and then the, to the, your other point, uh, writing things down, you know, I have a student right now and she's fantastic. She's an adult student. I had never taught an adult student before. Um, and she literally like every single thing that I tell her, she writes down and which is interesting. Cause like when I was a student, I mean, to your point, I remember I used to ask Lori, you know, he would say, Hey, look for this, you know, you want to listen to this recording. And I would say, is it okay if I write it down? And he'd look at me like I was a crazy person. And it's like, <laughs> of course it's okay if you write it down. Like, yes, that's why I'm telling you that, because I want you to remember it. 
you know? And yeah. so I, I think that's a thing too. And, 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 you know, not only just in lessons, but like if you're in orchestra and the conductor says, Hey, I want you to do this, this here. And none of your section mates pick up your pencils and write things down. That's not a good thing. You know, you want to hear the, the best sound of, the, of a conductor is the sound of a pencil hitting a stand, you know, especially sure. in education, yeah. you know, cause then they know that you're yes. actually listening and taking the coaching. Even if you write, this guy's a jerk and put, you know, put it down. It's something that gives them confirmation that you're listening to them. And I think, you know, as a teacher, you experience that where you just, you'll be telling someone something for 45 minutes and they don't write anything down. And then the next lesson they come back and it's the same issue. And you're like, well, why didn't you write it down? (laughs) It's just being professional. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, let's see, where are we at? So, uh, you have uh, at Rice. What's your studio class sort of arrangement? Do you guys do like specific topics, or do you do just people play for each other, or the different kinds of uh, sets with it? It's every. We, I go with whatever the studio vibe is for the month. You okay. know, if we have a whole bunch of auditions coming up, then we we work on that, and we work on. I really I hate the whole format of a studio class. Of all right let's pick somebody to play and then everyone comments. And we, you know, I, I have to admit sometimes we end up doing that, but my preference is always, all right, who's got something coming up. We're circling the wagons and this is going to be, uh, the, this group of people is going to help you get there, whether it be a recital or an audition or a summer audition or a college audition or, um, uh, a big, you know, let's say that we're doing miraculous Mandarin, having the whole studio observing those three people working out those intricate clarinet parts and making suggestions. So I think because we have uh, such a small program here at Rice, uh, we can really focus on what the immediate studio needs are. And in regards uh, back to what I was saying you know, when I was teaching and like Jackie and Todd were in school, um, I wasn't sitting in orchestra like I do now. And so now I can sit there and when, when my students don't have a pencil, I, I can really fuss at them. Or if they're, mm-hmm. if they're drinking tons of water, I could say, would you like a snack with that too? And <laughs> I can just be really sarcastic and obnoxious. And, um, you know, when they're tapping their foot, I can crawl through the floor and hold it down and, just be like the little devil showing them their ways and how to respect their colleagues just by being that, that voice of uh, observation from uh, the, the second bass clarinet chair usually where I'm sitting. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. so I was wondering, do you ever do any like really focused classes on like, like orchestral etiquette? Like, do you, do you sit down and go through this or are you just like, here's a reference in case you want to look at it? Um, cause I think we sometimes would... do it, uh, I'm the chairman for a uh, wind chamber music. So mm-hmm. every couple of years we do this in uh, wind chamber. Uh, we have a little seminar and it's great because my colleagues, everybody that teaches here is principal clarinet and a major orchestra. And so they all have their, their, I go down this list and each one of them has the, their experience on how they were humbled by learning one of these things on the list. Every single one of these amazing, uh, principal players. Yeah, I believe that everyone has to make these mistakes. Yeah, that would be really valuable. Uh, in my opinion, actually, one of the master classes that I remember most vividly 
from my time in school was Leslie Grimm gave a masterclass on how to write a resume. And it was just like, I didn't know that you shouldn't put this on it. And I didn't know that, you know, so it's stuff like that, that, that I feel like, yeah. you know, it's good to get away sometimes and, and perhaps you would agree or disagree, but I think it's, it's good to get away from the, just like, like you said, somebody plays and everyone makes comments, you know, cause that's what we do all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's what you do in your lessons and that's what you do by yourself. But these really like important professional development and life things that you're going to actually encounter when you start working as a musician are really important and it's better to learn them before you make the mistake yourself. You know, that's exactly, exactly. You hit the nail on the head and in a certain amount of these, you're going to learn, learn for yourself. You know, and that's just the the story of life. If that weren't the case, there wouldn't have been a TV show called Doogie Howser, you know, right. about a 14 year old doctor that's brilliant, but has no manners or, or experience in bedside handling. And it's, that's what this stuff is. We're all rookies at this point. We're all newbies in an orchestra and, and we're all petrified. Everybody, every single person, we're afraid of making mistakes. We're afraid of not sounding our best. And at least having a list like this, it gives you some grounding of like, all right, I've got this under control. I don't have to second guess so many things. Just, just try to play my best. Right. And I, and I'll, I'll put a link to it in my, uh, in the description of the episode, but, uh, definitely check it out. Uh, it's got, let's see, 29 points here. And, 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 it, and like I said, I'd like to refer to it every, every couple of years or so, and just, just kind of make sure I'm resetting and, and, and being aware of these various things. Um, one thing I wanted to mention too, uh, sorry, I'm sort of spitballing here, but, uh, when you were talking about, uh, maybe don't tap your, tap your foot there or whatever. I, I watched your, uh, on your YouTube channel, your masterclass at the music Academy and you were working. Uh Yeah. You were working with John is a buddy of mine. Um, that we went to music festival together and he was doing this big, like cue before he entered with his clarinet. And I love, uh, you and I have never had the chance to work together one on, well, I auditioned for you once, but that was, um, that, that was sort of the extent of our interaction, uh, with my playing. Um, but I really appreciate how you add all these little things into your teaching where it's not just like, okay, here's music, here's the clarinet technical stuff. It's like, Hey, you don't need to give this massive cue here. They're all going to intuitively know how to do. And I think that that adds, uh, to this list because, you know, you pointing out someone, Hey, don't tap your foot here helps them kind of remember that as they're learning their craft. You know what I mean? And do you, mm-hmm, do you make a conscious mm-hmm. effort to kind of add that stuff in while you're teaching? Always. I, I, there's so many ways we can improve our clarinet playing, not by just doing scales and arpeggios or Krebs and Bach and Vatamakum. There's so many little things just about our mannerisms. And as a, as a, a observer of human nature, we all need to watch other people play their instruments and say, what works when the string quartet plays? How are they able to play together so well? What is it? Are they tapping their feet? How are they cueing? How are they breathing? I find string quartets breathe much better than most wind players <laughs> in terms of ensemble. And those little things, when we bring those to our clarinet playing it can be as dramatic of an improvement uh, as just working on thirds for years. Right. 
that's yeah and and that's you know the one of the things that i really respect about you and your teaching and i and i wish i could observe more of it unfortunately i'm not close enough to you to do that um it uh geographically at least but um i i love that you would add these little things in there um to kind of just hey you know do this in the mozart but also you know this small little maybe physical thing that you're doing is going to help you as well and i love that well i think i think that uh my my goal I'm gearing up here for to be putting a huge amount online and not in your not in the normal version but um there's the the internet and and YouTube and streaming everything has started to pull apart our 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 business mm-hmm. you know um, on so many levels. I mean, I, that's a whole nother conversation, but I really love to bring this element of teaching in and they're not, you know, I, I think I, I go and I see people post quick tips. There's no quick tips. There's no <laughs> secrets, you know, secrets to client play. No, there's no secrets. It's, it's everyone needs to just think about what they want to sound like and then observe what they're doing that gets in the way of it. That's, uh, uh, and that, that takes time and it takes patience and it takes self-observation, all these things, which, uh, our, our world of doom scrolling on our phone has, has kept us from, from sitting down and observing ourselves and music making in, in a manner that's productive. Yeah. And it, as far as that goes, like, are you, are you planning on uh, doing like an online uh, curriculum or are you just planning on putting this content out there or like what's the, the game? I'm just putting this contact. I'm putting this content out there. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Chin has the digital client Academy and that's really growing into a whole curriculum um, with uh, the thrive programming. And that's something that's online and I'm contributing, you know, one, one month of that, but this is completely different than that. This is just putting out, uh, in a positive way, uh, a a broader picture of, of things that we can work on as clarinet players to make us better musicians. And this list is one of them for sure. Absolutely. And you know, I, I, I'll look forward to seeing that whenever that comes out. Um, I guess, you know, before we leave, Richie, uh, is there anything else that you that you'd like to say, or any uh, words of advice? I, I mean, you you already said that you've been working on this project. Any any other thing that sort of you've been inspired by in this last year? Uh, now that you've had to sort of shift, everything's had to shift. Like any projects that you're working on, other than that, uh, your the floor is yours if you want to talk about anything. Oh, I've I've got a ton of stuff coming up, and it's all it's all bottled up and going to unfold online, but I've, I've not been releasing it because, uh, there's just too much, um, uh, streaming of, of things that aren't, um, you know, they're 30 second things. Yeah. Um, and that's why I just love your podcast because you actually delve into something that's deep and a topic that is, uh, important. And I, I really believe everything's going to return to that very, very soon. Um, ask anybody whether they want to see another live stream from a living room. 
right anytime soon right well, yeah well i remember i was talking with my buddy ralph uh Schiano, who's a former student of yours uh as well hey ralph yeah, yeah uh he's fantastic and i actually uh you know i think he's maybe regretting this but <laughs> before i started the podcast i asked him if he wanted to do it with me um and he said mm -hmm. he, you know he had some other projects and stuff and so he he politely declined um but he said you know i said to him i'm just i the world doesn't need another clarinet player playing Bach in a one minute video on Facebook, you know? So right. I wanted to like, from the living room in yeah, front of the Christmas tree. Yeah, yes. from, yeah. Yeah. Or in my case from my bedroom, you know, like <laughs> you, they just, I, I just, I felt like you, we needed to actually get in there and provide people with some sort of like information that they didn't have access to from people that they didn't have yes. access to. You know what I mean? That's and right. I, like, that's yeah. my goal with the podcast and with the YouTube channel is like, people don't have access, you know, and I'm not saying I have full access to you, but like people are, aren't, you know, they, they don't know you, they, but they want to know you. And I feel like you're willing and generous enough to share everything about you. And I feel like, you know, having a conversation between the two of us or other people that I've talked to, that's a valuable thing for people that are looking to, to, to progress in this industry. And so that was sort of my goal with all this was like, let's go from an angle. that's not like me playing excerpts you know what i mean right yes yeah because anybody it's can great do that. that's right and you know you bring a, a completely different take to this which is much needed so it's it's a beautiful thing the other the other little thing that um is fascinating is i have a lot of my students and people that i talk with uh are really worried about the future of orchestra playing and they're spending all this time and energy wanting to be in an orchestra. Is there going to be an orchestra? What's going to happen to the, you know, uh, the world as we know it. And it's, there's no doubt there's a big reset button that has been hit, um, on multiple levels, but this happened in 2008. Some orchestras survived, some didn't. This is now making everyone examine what they want to do with their free time. Go to a, go to a concert, go out to dinner, what are the things that we miss? What are the things that are valuable? And so I believe that, you know, a night out on the town is part of, of society that we're all going to love going back to. And the orchestras will thrive. Sadly, due to the finances um, of this, this time, there's going to be a couple of years where positions aren't going to be filled because they can get by with one year positions. But mark my words, Sam, mark my words in two or three years, less than that, there will be the largest exodus of people from orchestra positions ever, the biggest amount of retirements ever. And there's going to be so many openings everywhere. And I say that because I've, I'm in touch with uh, a lot of friends and colleagues from Cincinnati Symphony and um, other orchestras and uh people that i play uh at music academy with and they're all say wow i've i've learned how to do you know fill in the blank and i can't wait to retire and i've had to follow through with getting my real estate license and now i've got this extra income i'm going to play one more season i'm going to retire yep and so as tough as the next couple of years might be with lack of college openings or grad school openings or, you know, not a lot of auditions because they'll do one year positions at the end of the cycle, 
you're going to have a huge rebirth of orchestra auditions, a huge rebirth of going out and having orchestra part of nightlife. And the key to that is the demographics. The demographics, if you just look at demographics of who the symphony patron is, it's the person aged 50 to 70. Above 70, you know, um, it's less and less. And below 50 is hardly at all because, you know, I know uh, I'm 51 next month. But up until this point, you know, we have kids and there's you can't. If I have a Saturday night off, I don't want to go sit in an orchestra. <laughs> you know, I, I want to do something but not sit, sit and listen to an orchestra. And that's not just because I played in it. But I never have a night off when you have kids. But you get a certain point. So demographics, you have Gen Xers, myself, now finally hitting the market for being able to go out, go to dinner with friend, family, significant other, and go to a concert. And so programming is going to start changing. And it's going to, everything is going to get better than ever in the symphony world, I believe. Yeah, and I agree with you 100%. I think there's a lot of doom and gloom in this industry always. Like, since I started learning it, they're like, oh, well, you know, the org, you never know if you're going to have a job. And it's like, well, sure, but that could be true for any job anywhere. That's right. Um, and, and, you know, for me, like, man, I cannot wait. <laughs> to go to a restaurant again. I cannot wait right? to go to a movie theater. Yeah. I cannot wait to go to a concert. I mean, I am chomping at the bit to do all of these things. And I think everyone is, they're all so excited about it. So I think if anything, it's going to be, there's going to be an explosion of live events and live music again, because it right. was literally taken from us. It wasn't That's just right. by choice. Yeah. It was taken from everybody. And so uh, yes. I totally agree with you, and, and I know that all of my listeners will appreciate your take. And uh, I think for all the students out there, and I, I'm sure you will agree, just keep working hard. There is light. There is plenty of light, and it's going to shine bright once we get through this tunnel. And, um, yeah, absolutely. Anything else that you have? That's it. This has been a real pleasure. I, I well, this is. I feel like I want to have a podcast and be able to invite you on it. My gosh, yeah. you have so much to offer. It's, it's just uh, a gift to the music world for sure. Well, who knows? Maybe I'll have room for a co-host at some point. So I'll, I'll, I'll no, keep no. you in mind. <laughs> Get Ralph. Ralph would be the best yeah. co-host for <laughs> okay. anything. Sounds good. Well, Richie, thank you so much for spending your uh, afternoon with me. Uh, it's, it's really been a, really been a joy. Um, like I said, I've always, uh, I've, I've really admired you, your playing and your teaching. Um, I love all the stuff that you have on your website. Really great resource, uh, your YouTube channel. So, uh, thank you for spending your time with me. It's just been a real pleasure. You bet. Everyone, check me out on Instagram or YouTube. I really don't like Facebook, though I'm sometimes on there. But go go uh, follow me because there's going to be some really fun stuff coming up soon. Absolutely, yeah. And I'll and I'll link you in all my posts and stuff, so uh, so you guys Killer. will have yeah direct direct access to to Richie. But um, if you guys haven't had the chance already, please go to our YouTube channel and watch the new bass clarinet comparison video. While you're That's there, awesome. please. Oh, thanks, Richie. <laughs> While you're there, please feel free to like, comment, and also subscribe to the channel as I will be posting lots of new content in the coming months. Ring the bell to get alerts for when the new videos drop. Also, be sure to stop by our website at candidclarinetspodcast.com where you can find more information about myself, the podcast, and links to all of our content platforms. While you're there, please check out the, our merchandise store. And if you're watching the video, I'm wearing one of our shirts. Very nice, very comfy. Um, it's a great way to support the podcast and you get something really cool in return. Uh, once again, I am Sam Rothstein and thanks for tuning in to the Candid Clarinetist podcast.